the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, great to see you. And you, Jared. So this Forward Together podcast is produced by Hollywell Trust and we're a community relations organisation based in the heart of Derry, Londonderry. And what we're trying to do is have a range of conversations, forward-focused conversations with a whole range of people from the diversity of our civil society. And this for this episode, Paul, you met with Avila Kilmurray. Yeah, I visited her in her offices in Belfast at the Social Change Initiative. And also, of course, she was one of the founders of the Northern Ireland Women's Coalition. Some of the things that you got to talk to Avila about were, I suppose, the role of civil society and the fact that it needs strengthened, which is no surprise given Avila's own background with the Community Foundation for Northern Ireland. But she also talked about the Civic Forum and it wasn't really allowed to achieve what it could achieve. Yeah, and also Avila feels perhaps that there's a, a lack of self-confidence by politicians in not enabling civil society to be as strong as it needs to be for us to take forward mm-hmm. uh, Northern Ireland society. And also she makes very strongly the point that, uh, in a sense, uh, civil society is seen as a means of providing services without being valued as a voice, mm-hmm. but also that it was the the research and development powerhouse of how services should be delivered. But then as soon as it starts to deliver the services, in her opinion, the funding gets cut off. Let's hear the conversation that you had with Avalon. Well, first of all, I think civil society needs to be strengthened to do more than just provide services. Uh, Civil society, in many ways, was the backbone of society in the 70s, 80s, 90s uh, in Northern Ireland whenever we were, were in the midst of the Troubles. Uh, But a combination of Conservative government policies, plus, I think, uh, a feeling that politicians are back, so therefore, uh, what's the need for civil society, has meant that a lot of the the, the resources available for civil society, particularly from government departments, are very tied to discrete services and service provision. And that, I think, has limited uh, both the, the space that civil society has to engage in broader discussion around the nature of democracy uh, or indeed the, the need for policy change, um, as well as, I think, being acting as a disincentive because a lot of civil society organisations are now looking to say, where's the next contract coming from government? And if we are sort of being critical or whatever else, does that mean that we, we, you know, it, it, we will not be considered... Uh, on the same basis as, as perhaps an organisation that is not critical. I mean, that always seemed to me to be you know, one of the weaknesses of the government system in Northern Ireland in particular, that when it came to cuts, there's an automatic assumption that statutory services should be uh, protected and non-statutory, therefore, were the ones that bore the brunt of things. I think that's true. You know, I think that non-statutories were seen as a, a sort of an, an op- optional extra, basically, um, and obviously, they didn't have the sort of the they they, they were weren't really part of the status quo, if you like, uh, in terms of being seen as a, as a mainstream provider. Um, however, I mean, I always argued that the the benefits of civil society organisations were that they were the R and D of of social provision, um, the, the the research and development side, and and for that reason, actually, you know, any sort of far sighted statutory service would regard them as, as being actually very useful because they could afford to actually try and do things differently, 
Whereas if you're a health provider or whatever, it, it's much more difficult for you to do that. Now, that's its role as a service provider. What about its role as giving a voice to the wider community? Well, that, I think, you know, has been very important uh, over the years. And that's the bit to an extent that we, we have really sort of lost. Um, partially, I suppose there's a, an understandable sense from local politicians. Hey, you did a great job, but back in your box because we're, we're here. Uh, and actually, back in sort of 2000, I actually heard a, a politician say more or less that. Um, because they, uh, politicians, I think, obviously put their emphasis on representative democracy and feel, you know, when it comes to participative democracy, which organisations like the Northern Ireland Council of Voluntary Action and many others actually argued very well over the years, then they're much less comfortable about that. And they're sort of saying, well, you know, who are these people? Is it the chattering classes, you know? Is it people that have the luxury to be able to sort of engage in these sort of discussions, whereas we're here under pressure from our voters and having to make the real decisions? So I think there is, a, there, there is an issue there. Um, obviously, it, particularly uh, difficult where perhaps politicians are not that self, you know, um, self-confident um, about their position. And consequently, they may be forced to share power with each other, a la Good Friday Agreement, Belfast Agreement, but they're not wildly enthusiastic about sharing power with anybody else. Well, it does challenge perhaps their legitimacy as, as speakers on behalf of the people. Yes, I think so. Uh, and, and in fairness, politicians will say, well, actually, we have, you know, we have a vote behind us. Who are you? Um, however, again, I think, you know, looking at something like the sort of the, the, the citizens forums in the, in the Republic of Ireland, the citizens, assemblies, the, yeah. the citizens assemblies, I mean, it actually had proved quite useful for the political system because they were able to actually sound out quite difficult issues in a, a situation where the politicians didn't have to take the upfront, you know, uh, uh, trial and error, if you like, in terms of decision making, they were able to sort of sound out uh, through a sort of much broader uh, forum. And there has been some small examples of, of, of attempts to do that here with the deliberative um, assemblies that the um, Building Change Trust sort of initiated along with the, the, the Community Foundation. Because that's a very interesting point. Citizens' assemblies have been successful in the South in terms of, as you say, creating more space to discuss things which the political system, the party political system, couldn't deal with. On the other hand, the Civic Forum failed it, it was not allowed to continue yeah. I mean so what do you think we learn from those two examples I think first of all it is about the self-confidence of the politicians um, I the the, the 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 civic forum was put forward by the Northern Ireland Women's Coalition um, it was never welcomed by the mainstream parties um, and and of course the first thing that they did was they um, in in the regulations they allowed the first minister then David Trimble and the deputy first minister SDLP to have direct nominations um, and you know it, it, actually the sort of the nomination process uh, prior to that had been worked out in detail between um, at the time actually with the Secretary of State's office Mo Bolum, and and the Northern Council of Voluntary Action who did a, a large uh, consultation exercise around it uh, you know and had various uh, sectors nominating representatives and, and actually the Civic Forum, when it was allowed to sit, did some interesting reports on sort of education and a number of, of different social issues. So I think it was, it, it was a shame that um, it was put in abeyance and then never brought back. But I think it was really because there was no understanding that actually participative democracy doesn't replace representative democracy. It can actually add an element to it. 
but perhaps there's also an element of fear that you know the the citizens assemblies if they were here might do the same as they did in the south and put forward something that for many northern politicians would be unacceptable or uncomfortable i think i think that's very true yes so how do we move more broadly towards uh, a more shared and integrated society here ah that's the 600 dollar question isn't it <laughs> um first of all i think that we have to have the ability to have conversations uh, in, in, in a manner that people can actually buy into, you know, and relate to about what are the, what's, what's the basic needs, the basic opportunities in any society that we want to live in and bring up our children in. Um, I think the problem in Northern Ireland is, we, you know, we start with the constitutional border issue and work backwards. And then obviously people align behind political parties on that basis Whereas actually, if we could actually start with talking about, in, in socioeconomic terms, whatever about what constitutional framing uh, that is the type of society we want to see, then we would, would have a much better chance of having a richer politics. Uh, because because our, our, our politics has become so narrowed by, by the constitutional division that things like, for example, a, 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 a perfect example actually was the Bill of Rights, you know, which became a victim of of the sort of the, the 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 unionist nationalist divide without people actually getting a chance to sort of say well what does that mean for me and my community because actually you know a bill of rights and you know listening to someone like albie Sachs talking about the bill of rights in south africa a bill of rights is a, is, is a win-win situation potentially for everyone but here it became oh a bill of rights must be a republican demand so therefore it's not for us um and actually, you know, looking back, when I was involved in, in some social justice funding for the Community Foundation, back in sort of 2004 or five, whenever the Bill of Rights consultations was happening, you know, we were funding the Evangelical Alliance to look at, you know, a biblical analysis of, of, of human rights. You know, there was actually, we were funding a lot of loyalist communities who, you know, certainly sort of said, what we want to see is social and economic rights. And yet the Unionist parties said, oh, no, 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 we can't have social and economic rights in it. This has to be purely on civil liberties or issues relating to the troubles, very much a narrowing. So actually there was, there, there was, there was a gap between what some people were saying on the ground when they had a chance to have a conversation about it and when they had to take a reaction on the basis of political headlines. And you mentioned Albie Sachs. I mean, is there an inference there that perhaps Northern Ireland is too insular, too inward-looking, not sufficiently learning from best practice around the world? I think that is, that is true. Um, I, I, I think that Northern Ireland, well, any, any society with, with a lengthy violent conflict tends to feel that they're unique, you know, and that nobody else, well, it used to be, as the late uh, Davy Irvine said, you know, the Mope syndrome, the most oppressed people ever. Uh, and there, was a, there is an element of that in Northern Ireland, um, and almost too, I think, um, which, which again probably is not just Northern Irish, is probably true of any society that has been in conflict, a sort of a, a defensiveness that the, 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 the default mode is, right, they're out to get us. So, you know, what, what's the angle on this? Rather than actually sort of say, if we're building some sort of shared society, we need to be more on a sort of a, 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 have a, have a more open discussion about this, and not take a, a sort of zero sum game approach where you know oh if that measure if, if if the Republicans or if the the loyalists are looking for that measure automatically it must be bad for our community if we if we are in inverted commas the other community 
instead actually breaking down the situation and sort of saying, well, actually, you know, could we agree some shared principles that that would be a benefit for everybody, irrespective of their of, of their identity, and then work forward in terms of and what policies then then would flow from those principles. But is there also a risk that you know we're talking about a shared and integrated society as a good thing? But to what extent is there a genuine commitment across the communities and across the political parties to do that to achieve that? The answer to that is I probably don't know. Um, at the moment, I mean, I know there's sort of uh, the, 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 the issues, it's been used to sort of say, oh, well, you know, people don't want Northern Ireland to work so that therefore they're not interested in actually sort of getting policies that will make it work. However, I think it's a bit more complex than that, to be quite honest, um, because I think, you know, a, a, a discussion about the type of society we want is as relevant, you know, in terms of whether... You, your, 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 your politically, your political framework is an all island basis in Ireland, whether it is across the U, you know, a, a UK basis or whatever else. You know, there, there, it's as valid a discussion to to have that in terms of you know, what is Scotland doing, as much as you know, can we pioneer something in Northern Ireland that would actually be useful in terms of raising um, awareness and, and raising demands in the Republic of Ireland. So you know, um, so I, I, I think. Uh, the, the other, the, the other, the other issue I think in relation to the the, the the allegation that people don't want Northern Ireland to work, I think it is actually less that and more that there are now a growing block of people that are frustrated because the promise and the enthusiasm around the Belfast Good Friday Agreement was not was not realised. So, so there is 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 more a sort of a, a questioning about can this place work because of what the politicians, the standoff that we've actually landed up in. But you raise a good point again, which is that to what extent we actually have that conversation about what type of society we want rather than just simply the constitutional arrangement for that type of society. Yes, it, it is. I mean, I think it comes back to that. And, you know, and one of the things I think that is um, sad at the moment, to be honest, is that, uh, you know, we don't, I mean, even institutions like the trade union movement, have not been as effective and as public in promoting that discussion as they were back in the eighties, possibly. You know, um, and, and I think we need those sort of institutions that are part of the sort of social economic fibre of this place to actually move forward with some of those discussions. Now, the big discussion that we we seem to be scared of having is about the past. And, yes. and how we deal with that, and to what extent we can achieve reconciliation by talking about the past. And what's your take on that? My take on that has always come from the fact of um, looking at, at, at the southern political system. There, there was an inability and an unwillingness to uh, deal with the, the Civil War, uh, which was you know, 1920, 21, 22 period. And the whole political system has been, I think, artificially formatted on those Civil War uh, uh, alignments, opposing alignments, even now between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And um, which has actually distorted uh, any sort of decent social and economic policies because because of that fracture. And I worried that if that is replicated again in the Northern Ireland situation, we will have something similar. Because unless we can actually talk about what happened, albeit 
I, that I, I feel there will be a kaleidoscope of experiences because the experience of some of a Protestant border farmer in, in, in West Fermanagh is totally different from a Catholic unemployed person in Ardoin in during the troubles, you know. But we need to create the space for those stories to actually be shared at one level. At another level, we do need to look at what happened in terms of the actual uh, killings, you know, with both the state and and, and paramilitary organisations, loyalist and republican, um, and, and, and be able to sort of, I, I mean, whether we will ever get to the truth as we move further and further away from the time period, I think is more of a more of an open question. But even if we got to the stage of whatever about individuals being held to account, as, as the attempt was in South Africa, and I recognise we can't replicate South Africa here because the context is, some, is, is very different, that even if there was, a, there was a degree of explanation from organisations about why they did certain things, you know, so, um, for example, uh, the, the IRA going their, their, their economic war and their targeting of contractors uh, involved in police, building police stations as collaborators, that sort of side of things. The dirty war side of things from the, the British government. The whole issue about to what extent there was collusion, whatever else. That is the sort of thing that I think there needs to be um, an open discussion around. Because otherwise, you know, it is your standard thing, you know, that, that, that you will be sort of after, that history will be just repeated. But if it's an explanation without an apology, doesn't that sound like a justification rather than making progress? I'm less hung up, to be honest, on an apology because because then there will be questions about how genuine was the apology. Um, I think even if we got to a stage for the explanation, so because it's the explanation, and and then you look at the explanation and say, well, you know, even in your own terms, that didn't work. Or whatever you know, it's the explanation that actually then might stop it being repeated by somebody else, you know, in in, in the future. I think if it's if it's just ignored and this thing about a line in the sand, and we all know from lines in the sand, the tide comes in very quickly and washes them away. It's the line of the sand approach that I think doesn't work. It's interesting because when you talked about the the lessons from the south and the fact that uh, uh, the divisions of the past are still shown in today in terms of Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, I thought you were going to go on to say actually the, the, the healing that's been achieved in the South through the openness about what went on in terms of clerical abuse and whether there's things that can be learned from, from that experience which actually the more people have learned about what happened in terms of clerical abuse, the more fundamental change there's been in the, in the Republic. Well that is true, yes. Yeah, I mean that, that probably would be a, 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 better, a better example. Um, the political one, though, hasn't been dealt with. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and now, of course, we'll be coming up fa- fairly rapidly to the, the 100th anniversary. Uh, though, actually, in fairness, um, I think that there has been, particularly over the, over the, the way that the, the uh, 1916 anniversary or centenary was dealt with, there has been quite a bit of learning in the Republic. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the 50th anniversary of the 1916 uh, rebellion, and it was a very different uh, approach that was taken in the Republic. Well, the other big challenge we have is how we have the constitutional conversation in ways that don't inflame tensions and create negativity. I mean, what's your view about how we should do that? My view about that, well, first of all, I think it's premised on the fact that um, 
it, it in 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 the sort of the the, the the general context of having conversations, it it has been wrong to sort of say that the Republican dash nationalist demand or the, um, call for a border poll and the United Ireland is at odds with reconciliation. I don't think you can lay that down because that then is privileging one constitutional view over another. So I think it is valid to have that conversation. What And, and the second thing related to that is rather than going on the attack um, of Republican-nationalism um, and, and some of their conversation and their internal meetings and all the rest, I think there is a real need for a parallel discussion within unionism-loyalism uh, in order that, again, rather than just sort of saying, you know, no surrendering ourselves alone, to sort of say, where will we be in 20 years' time? Um, and and, and in, in order not to be in a situation where that broader community feel that their back is against the wall and they're being left with no alternatives, that they start having internal conversations with a range of options so that they actually can have a, an input into positively framing where they want to go. In terms of, of, of a border poll, which clearly is in the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, my sense with that is that the, the worst thing we want is, is a winners and losers syndrome. Now, it may be hard to escape that, but if there was a way that we use the time now, prior to any sort of fashioning of questions or whatever else, to again start uh, talking to one another about perhaps a range of options that is, are not as stark as, you know, United Ireland in the morning run from Dublin or you know, remain in the UK, run from London. Um, and, and, and those things could be around, you know, uh, regionalism, um, devolution in terms of, of, of power within the island of Ireland, the Commonwealth's membership has been put on the table, you know, the whole range of, of options um, that, that might be there. And then, of course, there is then the, the added complication of and what's the relations with the European Union uh, in, in terms of, of going forward so that you know you're 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 more moving towards almost like a preferendum <laughs> uh, but uh, you know and, and actually and I've been saying it for some time I think part of that conversation should be driven from the republic because again there's there's no guarantee that you know when it comes to it you know and when we look at the economics of it that the people and it has to be a back-to-back -back referendum in the republic as well that the people in the Republic of Ireland will say that, that we want the we want the situation because in some senses they've got a, a hundred year old system that is operating well how how satisfactory is another question, but you know, that people actually operate. Um whereas I think the attitude from by many from the Republic to Northern Ireland is saying, you know, that would be a headache bringing them in. Yes, we can't assume what the outcome would be. I mean, do you think we can actually have that conversation in a, a reasonably relaxed way, though? I think it would be difficult um, if elected political parties, elected politicians ramp up, you know, uh, try, you know, ramp up the sort of the, the divisiveness. Um, uh, and, and there is a danger, I think, that, you know, some politicians will dub or anybody who tries to have the conversation as 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 a traitor 
Um, however, you know, we've seen people like Peter Robinson sort of saying, look, we need to start looking forward. So, you know, we, we have seen people who perhaps have long experience to sort of say, you know, we're, we're in danger of digging ourselves into a hole here if we actually aren't prepared to engage in some sort of long-term visioning. And the related issue there is perhaps that uh, some people want to unpick the Good Friday Agreement. And clearly Brexit has shown the limitations of the Good Friday Agreement because there's, there was a level of constructive ambiguity around them, sure. which is now being unpicked because we now have to see that people with Irish citizenship in the North don't have full rights of Irish citizenship, for example. Yes, and I, I, mean, I, and I think that, to be honest, would be disastrous. I mean, um, now, the, uh, they always sort of say that the Irish have too long historical memory and the English have none at all. Um, but I think we've seen that being played out to an extent, that, um, that, that because the conversation really in terms of the referenda that's, that agreed the Good Friday Agreement was in the South and the North and not in, in England, it sort of meant that, that there, there is no, either one, well, certainly no historical memory, but no historical awareness of actually what, what was in the agreement. Um, and, and I think that, that, is a, that is a real issue. I mean, personally, I've always argued, particularly working with people from other conflict societies like Cyprus, like Sri Lanka, that the genius of actually the Good Friday Agreement was that disentangling of the idea of national aspiration, national identity, citizenship, you know, um, because that actually provided the room for, for, for both identities. You know, and something similar, possibly in something like Cyprus or Sri Lanka, you know, where you have that sort of um, dual sort of uh, identity issue. Um, I, th- I think w- w- was a very useful model. If that becomes on, uh, you know, unpicked, if you like, over the whole Brexit issue, then I think it does raise issues about you know, the basis whereby people voted in the in the referenda. Now we also then have the have the issue that the DUP campaigned against uh, the referenda. They were soundly beaten in that. But, you know, but, but very often they will say their premise is the St. Andrew's Agreement rather than the Good Friday Agreement. But the reality is that the Good Friday-Belfast Agreement was massively supported. There, there was, as you say, sort of ambiguity around it. Not so much actually on the citizenship bit, because it was very much you can be an Irish and British citizen and both. Um, so that really shouldn't be unpicked. The ambiguity was was probably round more over that that how to deal with the legacy of the past uh, and and those sort of issues. And the other issue is that we are in a system now which is, if you like, majoritarianism, and whether we can move towards an aspiration of a, a consensus outcome, whether that's just beyond us. Yes, I mean, I think I think the problem is, to be honest, I mean, it hasn't helped us the fact that Theresa May is dependent on the DP. Um, and to be honest, I mean, given that the disproportionate pressure uh, and influence that then the DUP, as a, on the back of that, can at, actually influence on, 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 on the UK government, it's sort of not surprising that our politicians haven't come back together in Stormont because they say quite rightly it's not an equal playing field. Um, I do believe if there was a different outcome of a, a, a general election, um, which would be quite likely, um, then it would be poss- possible to perhaps go, go back to looking at where can we get a more consensual society. I'm also conscious that a lot of us is also the way we actually frame that consensus. 
you know, it, um, it always struck me a lot of the opinion polling coming up to the Good Friday Agreement was around, you know, what, what, what do you want? And there was one poll that I think was carried out by some, some of the, the, the academics in Queen's, but funded anyway, by, by, I think, by, the, by the, the Rontree Foundation, which said, what are you prepared to settle for? And it was to- totally different results. So again, how you frame that conversation, and again, frame it in such a way that you're not pushing the, the, the all or nothing, which a lot of our politics do, um, then I think you have more of a chance of, 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 of tr- trying to look again at what would be a win-win situation. That's a very good note to which to end. Thank you very much. Okay, well, that was a really interesting conversation there. I, I, I like the thought of having conversations about the type of society that we want in the future, but shifting the starting point away from the constitutional question. Is there anything else that, that you took from it? Well, I thought that uh, Avila made an, a number of really important points, uh, both about the nature of our society and how we have a joint approach to uh, our society and its values, but also about how we deal with the past, how you know, we, we can't run away from dealing with the past and the hurt that's caught, being caused. And uh, we, we need to, to arrive at explanations t- in order to avoid repeating those uh, p- mistakes of the past. And, and we must do so in a way that, that we know one community doesn't feel that it's won and another feel- mm. community doesn't feel that it's lost. You know, we need to, to build something that works together. And, and another point, of course, is that, you know, she is a trade unionist and she's concerned that trade unions are no longer the voice that they were. And I think equally important is both how the Republic of Ireland is involved in the conversations about the future of Northern Ireland, but also, you know, and this goes back to the Good Friday Agreement, you know, one of the things that was never enacted was the fact that it was agreed that we'd have a Bill of Rights, and and really very little progress has been made, and somehow the conversation about rights has become very toxic in our society. Mm. But we do need to go back to the fact that people's rights have to be respected. Yes, we need a conversation, a discussion about how we define those rights, but we need to go back to the Good Friday Agreement to make progress on the Bill of Rights and do things that keep everyone satisfied and committed to. Okay. That's that for this episode. Um, thank you for listening and thank you very much to Avila for taking the time to meet with us. Uh, keep an eye out for future episodes and we'll talk to you again soon. The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.